Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There's lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy and don't have the time. The phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal, not a reality. We created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem, to make schools be more inclusive and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to parents and other people who work with pupils with SEND. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I've invited to come along and talk about a topic. This week, my guest is Alison Knowles. Alison is an emotional therapist. She supports emotional resilience. And in this episode, we're talking about self-preservation as a parent of a child with SEND. How important it is to sometimes put yourself first and make sure you're in the right place to look after your child. Before we get started, I want to talk about B-Squared. B-Squared is a company I run, and over the last 25 years, we have helped schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment content is used in over 10,000 schools around the world, with over 1,500 schools using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, Eversense, helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the Virtual Send Conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you want to find out more about B-Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or you can drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing self-preservation as a parent of a child with SEND. Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is the creator of the Ollie Model, the author of the series of Ollie and his superpower books, trainer of Ollie coaches, and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Alison. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. Good, good. When you become a parent, there are so many other parents throwing advice at you, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, whether you want it or not. You're walking an unknown path, you're learning for the first time, and you have no idea what advice you should listen to. When it comes to special needs, your child just doesn't have SEND. When they wake up one day, it takes time. Your child is slowly deviating from that path other parents know. And sometimes the advice is to get them back on the path. It's not helpful. And it can also be damaging to you or the child. And this can make you feel really isolated. Absolutely. I, a lot of the parents that I work with, that will let me work with them. And, and that's a biggie, let me, because these guys aren't very good at taking help for themselves. They're so focused on the energy and the time that they have to put into their child with additional needs, learning difficulties, physical disabilities, that they almost cease to exist. Yep. And I get why, but it's it's the worst thing they can do for so many reasons, which is hopefully what we're going to discuss. But it's a lonely place to be because... As we've discussed in other podcasts, no two children are the same, regardless of a blooming label. That doesn't give you the traits of somebody else with the same label. And yeah, you're right. I, I remember watching when my two sisters had a little one, you know, the rest of the family have all had kids and they all dived in with, well, this is what you do about sleep times. This is how you get them to feed it. This is how you do this. This is how you, because we're all experts, aren't we? Yep. Apart from me, because I've no idea. I've only got a cat. 
And, you know, as much as that's annoying to a point, it's also quite a good feeling because that supports there. You're not on your own. There will be someone that's got an idea to help you through this. But if your child has got additional needs, then chances are nobody else in your family has been through that. So all of a sudden, that taken for granted, very natural support service of information on what to do next isn't there. But then we're an interesting thing as human beings because unless we have a really good understanding, unless we've experienced it ourselves, what tends to happen is, well, what do you mean he won't go to school? What do you mean he's not doing this? What do you mean he has tantrums? Every, For goodness sake, so you're a parent or what? And then they start doubting and judging you as a parent because they have no damn understanding that it's not your parenting skills, it's because this child processes the world differently. Yeah, and that and is a really lonely place. And it's always doing that, well, just do this, that will fix that. Oh, you're not, it's still, okay, mm, okay. You're not being you're firm not, enough. Yeah, and all this advice, and at, the moment, you, at that point you don't know your child's got special needs. And there could be various medical things wrong with them, yeah. like um, lactose intolerance yeah. can make them just not perform how every other child is. And, Outrageous. And then you work it out and you're <laughs> like, oh, and then you feel bad. And SEN is, yeah, when that child's deviating and they are becoming different and they're not coping with things or things like that, Generally, the other parents have no idea what to do, so they go quiet, or they're still trying to give you the same advice. And the, the intolerance is unbelievable. It's 2021. The intolerance for anything that's not like us is still unbelievably, disgustingly bad. And that might be just not the same colour as someone else, same religion, I don't know. could be anything. If you've got additional needs and processing skills, all that stuff... Well, one, not only are you not like everybody else, you're probably not like anyone else yep. because you're beautifully unique within that label. So consequently, we're back to my favourite, there isn't a blooming book. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> I think it is. As you said earlier, you think of generally when you have that child, you put all your focus into them and what do you become? Yeah. And there is um, a an American TV programme about autism. I think it was called Atypical which I really like because it didn't hugely focus on that person's autism. It is in there, it is, but it's a whole family. Mm. And the mum was one of those mums who, and there's lots of them who do this, and you do it because you have to because you've got to support your child. Yep. But this child was now kind of heading off to college. And partway through that first series, it was the mum's going, who am I? There's the who am I, and I think that's empty nest system uh, syndrome with, with all parents. But a much bigger issue that we deal with as therapists is attachment disorder. And everyone's like, oh, that child's got attachment. No, no, it's usually mum. Because until that point, you know, th this, this is my child. There's something different. I need to protect. I need to fight, which is a very beautiful, natural thing that a mother does. But to the point where they only notice what is wrong with it wrong i hate that word can't believe it came out of my mouth what is different about their child rather than what their child does brilliantly well and then that kind of stops a lot of the growth that could be there i've got, I've got an example at the moment I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me saying we've got a lovely lass that's joined the ollie course and she's on the on the spectrum and she is amazing and will be an amazing therapist she shouldn't be because according to her label she shouldn't be able to cope and to be fair, in the beginning, according to her label, she lived up to her label and didn't cope very well. When it got stressful, we had meltdowns, we had the lot. But what she's realised, working through the course with us, because we don't have that emotional, I've got to protect you, 
where we've got that emotional, I'm aware you're going to find this a little bit awkward, but so will everyone else on my course. You're just going to find it awkward in a different way. And because of that approach, oh my God, the growth. But everyone's so frightened to let her try because yeah. she might fail and if she fails, she'll get upset and none of us want our kids upset. But I love it when a parent, I'm not going to say brave enough because these parents are incredibly brave, when they have the strength and the energy to let the child stand. There is something... And you hear it in primary schools, the best learning comes from when you fail. And when I say to someone, no like my colleague, failing. my colleague, John, he goes to me the other week, he goes, I spent all week and I've made no progress. I went, no, you found, you found 40 ways it didn't work. Uh, Edison and his light bulb. Nine, what is it, 999 ways of not making the light bulb. Yeah, but you, you do, you learn as you go through. And sometimes when you fail, that's when you do, you learn about yourself. And there is, I think, it, well, I've read a book about learning, and there's a difference of being an adult who's a learner, who kind of, you know how to learn, there's lots of skills you have, and a child who learns, who, and I'm going to say, doesn't have that language or doesn't have that understanding of why things aren't working and when this goes wrong, what should I do? They haven't got the experience. And but how do you get that experience without going through something? Change your language. For first of all, I hate the word failure. There is no failure. In in one of the therapy models that we use, NLP, there's, a, there's no failure, only feedback. And it sounds like very flippant and throwaway and wah, wah, keep trying all that. No, but when you really think about it, it's true. Because you haven't failed. You've just found a way that's not quite right yet. That's not failure. And if you didn't, I, I go into schools and, you you know, what is resilience, chaps? If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again and again, and then you feel really naff about yourself because you still can't do it. Yeah, that's helpful. What about this one? If at first you don't succeed, try something different. Is it me? There's not, no it's, failure. There's it's just, not I failed to catch the bus this morning. It's like, no, you got up late. That's why you missed the bus. Yeah, it's not. Or you didn't know where your keys were, so failure. you lost three minutes. You did, you did something slightly that made the end event that you wanted not happen. So do it differently next time. See what yeah, happens. Change. Who knew? Do everything the same, but the one thing went wrong. One thing that you didn't put the keys where they should have been, or you didn't set your alarm. Yeah. Everything no else failure. you did was right. Yeah. It's all learning. It's no failure. No, that's the it thing. It depends on your mindset, doesn't it? You go, oh, I failed and give up. Or you can go, oh, that didn't work as well as I wanted. I wonder what happens if I do it this way. But, you know, children won't instinctively think that way unless a parent does. And I think it's not a case of a child will either think this or a child will either think that, and it's a coin toss, and then it's decided forever. Everyone kind of starts with this, it didn't work, tantrum. <laughs> when they're baby, I do this, get a reaction. And it's how you respond to their reaction. That's, that's, that's exactly And it grows it. from there. Everything that any of our children are, and again, regardless of additional needs, there are certain traits in all of us that are just who we are. You know, I've got brown hair and I'm quite chunky. That's who I am, yeah? All right, it's a lot of grey in it. Leave it out. As a start <laughs> on you. You don't look a lot better right now. <laughs> but the bulk of everything that we believe to be true about the world, who we are on it, in it, what we can and can't achieve, limiting beliefs... We have learnt that. We weren't born with it. I, I don't know any kids on the spectrum that popped out of mum and went, oh, bugger, I'm different, aren't I? <laughs> doesn't happen. No. So how do they learn they're different? They learn they're different because they're treated differently. 
And, and I know they need to be, they need additional support, they need this, that and the other. But one of the key things and the wonderful successes I've seen with some amazing parents is when their diagnosis is not the central point. They are not defined by their diagnosis. Tell me about your son. Oh, his name's Peter. He loves football. He's not brilliant at it, but, you know, he loves it. Tell me about your son. Oh, he's autistic. He's on the spectrum. Um, he can't do this and he can't do that. And he's rubbish at football because, obviously, being on the spectrum. It's all about perspective and how you view things. So perfect starting with no failure, any feedback. Just because someone can't do it the way 10 other people can doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. They're doing it their way. And who's to say that that isn't going to open up something wonderful? We were, we were just jokingly talking about blimmin' ironing boards. Somebody invented an ironing board, and I know it really annoys you because it's got flowers on it and you want one with Star Trek. <laughs> well, my mind, I am, I am neurodiverse because I have learning disabilities and all sorts, which when I was growing up, I was, I, it was drummed into me. I should be ashamed. I'm not as good. I'm worthless. It's only now. I'm as proud as bloody hell. We're going to start giving certificates out, right? Because it's brilliant. Because as we were talking about that, what came into my head was, well, you want you want Star Trek and stuff on it. What if, what if we had an ironing board that wasn't just one ironing board, but it was like two, like the wings on Star Trek, so you could put your trousers on it? And what if it lit up and, and we could have Scotty talking to Kirk and going, can you give me any more starch? And off you go. That's neurodiverse. That's being different. That's thinking out of the box and being brave enough to and being encouraged to. We'd still be in caves. I was about to say, with that sort of thought process, that is what drives change and development. Exactly. That's, so is, why are we afraid of anyone that's different? So if you go back to that rote learning, and um, there's two things I want to discuss at the moment. One, I think we've had Autism Awareness Week very recently. Yes. And there's a whole discussion of, I'm an autistic person, or I'm a person with autism. And... There are people on either side. And one thing is, there is, you said, there is a child and autism is one part of them, as is the football team they support, the job they do, <laughs> and various other things about them. Others, they feel it's defined. That's their personal choice. And the other thing, there's a big behaviour on zero tolerance thing going on at the moment. And I'm, I'm watching it explode on Twitter. And some people are going, this is horrible. And the other hand going, well, no, they need boundaries. So it's interesting watching how all of this happens. But one thing I would say is you're not going to change the world making everyone conform and follow all the rules. You're not. And and I know that um, you and I have similarly and yet different views on the whole thing. I, I'm not an expert in anything. I We do an awful lot of work with um, autism and SEN, as you know. My whole take on it is I don't want to be an expert because if I'm suddenly an expert, I'll start putting people into boxes and identifying by their labels. I just want to identify everybody I meet by how they do their world and how they communicate because only then can I actually be of any use to them. I'm not limiting them. I'm not taking them beyond their capabilities. I'm just watching and growing them into the best they can be. And you do, you have two schools of thought and uh, I get into trouble all the time for this, but you know what? I don't care now. There's a school of thought that, no, our children need the labels and we need awareness and we, and we absolutely do need awareness, but we need awareness for acceptance. We don't need awareness so that they are separate. Yep. Yeah. And that, you know, you need the, you absolutely need all the support you can get for you. All of our children need all the support they can get. And I know that there's nowhere near enough support in mainstream schools and God knows what else for children with learning disabilities and additional needs. And then, then you've got the other school of thought that are like, no, 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 you know, yes, okay, my child's um, on the spectrum, but that's not who they are. 
And, you know, that's good too. And I kind of side with that one a little bit more because I agree that we are all more than our labels. But what needs to happen is we just need to not even have in-battles within the community of autism and SEN. What we need to agree on is that every single one of our children is beautifully unique, that our parents of these children are doing the very best they blimmin' can, and that if they are seen to, no, no, my child can't do that, no, 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 we can't do that because my child can't do that, it's not because they're not wanting to see what their child can do. It's because they're blimmin' terrified for their child because they know the support's not out there and they know the world's not as it could be for these kids. Yeah. Everything on both sides of that argument is based on fear. Yeah. And the only way that we're really going to help autistic kids, kids on the spectrum, whatever it is, is to help the parents to manage that fear. And that fear's around, am I doing good enough for my child? Am I supporting them all the way I can? Am I fighting hard enough? Am I being heard for my child? Are they safe? What's going to happen when I'm not around? Are they safe? It's fear, and it's a horrible place to be. SEND, birth to 25. So your EHCP could go out at 25. What happens when you're 26? What happens when you're 27? What happens when you're 18? Care ends. Yeah, so there's lots of things. And you've got parents going, yeah, I, I, can, I can look after this at home. Yeah, at the moment, but you're going to get old. It's not a nice thought. No. What's going to happen? And you've got to be kind of let go of a lot of that fear that you're not good enough or you're not doing the best and you've got to find ways of not being alone. There are lots of support groups out there. You're not going to find anyone in the same situation no, as you. No, you're not, no. And that's the thing is sometimes you're going, my child has autism, I should go to an autism support group. It's like, actually, you might find someone just in the same situation as you, feeling the same way as you, in a completely different support group mm. who lives local. Yeah. So. There, again, that's where labels, I think, sometimes... But, but where do you go? If you want if you want information, so if I want to know about ironing boards, I'll go on Google and I'll look up ironing boards. That's what you do, in it? Yep. And then I might pick the first one or I might go, do you know what? That's kind of okay for me, but I want one with Star Trek. I'm going to look around a bit. You're really hooked on that now, aren't you? I am. You've got me. But it's, it's we do it with everything. So I, I can, you know, if your child is on the spectrum or whatever, you, you're going to find a group of other people on the spectrum. So you're going to do that. But it's it's not being afraid of the fact that your child is different within the difference. Yep. It's bad enough that your child's different, apparently. But to be different within the difference, so not as capable as that child that's on the spectrum. For me, from the therapeutic side, we, we work with a lot of kids on the spectrum. And I love it because I think they're geniuses. I think they are communicating in a way that if we could only just begin to understand, oh, my God. Just because they can't do one thing, look at what they can do. Oh, yes. my God. They blow my mind. And and the way they communicate, what I love is they'll choose whether or not I am worthy of them teaching me. I love that. And I go into the room with these guys, and, and they will decide whether or not I am worthy. And that's what they're doing in their own way. You know, they might not be able to express an emotion to show me, but one way or another, they'll let me know whether or not I'm worthy or not. And, and I love it because that's the way it should be. I need to learn how to learn their language. But a lot of the work we do is with parents, and parents are exhausted. Yep. They're strung out. They're alone. Nobody's listening. The school said, well, they're fine at school. I don't know what you're going on about, for God's sakes. What are you doing at home? Have you not got any boundaries? You're a rubbish yep. parent. Well, I didn't quite say that, but, you know. So then the parents have got that pressure of being judged as not doing well enough because their child has these meltdowns, but only in front of them, not in front of anyone else. 
Well, it might be a boundary issue, but most of the time it's because that's where the child feels safe to express these emotions and not get into trouble or be judged or told off. So, of course, when they come home, you're going to cop it because it's safe. Yeah. But, of course, the schools don't see that, so then you'll be in a rubbish. What do you mean he won't come in? Oh, for God's sake, just make him. And your family start doing it as well, don't they? Because yeah. the child will try and behave as they think they should. And then you even get therapists. I've heard myself saying it in the beginning. Well, hang on a minute. If you can behave over there but not here, what's that about? Yeah. And what it's about is, yes, he might be clever, <laughs> but most of the time it's he feels safe. But also, when you're a parent of a child with SEND, you have lots of parents in different places. Yeah. My sister, who's uh, three boys with autism, I mention her a lot in the podcast. She does an amazingly hard job. And... Her boy was in year eight, wasn't coping, became a school refuser. And it was the whole, well, you just need to get him into school. And there's all these things she went through and it wasn't working. So the local authority got involved and and they literally brought out, perhaps you should maybe look at some of these books. Parenting. Like, some parenting <laughs> books. And it's like a, a guide to parenting a child. And literally, whatever books they were, she mentioned, she liked some, and my sister literally just went over and bought out her dog-eared version of these books mm. that she's been doing for years. And the actual problem with my sister was she was doing such a good job supporting my nephew that he wasn't as bad as he could have been. Therefore, he wasn't needing that much support. So actually, if she'd been a really bad parent, he would have got support quicker. <laughs> That's how it actually ended up being. He, she was so good at supporting him and making so, him cope that... They never saw how bad it was because she put all this stuff in. Devil's advocate, but only devil's advocate because I work within what I call the environment of anybody that I work with, which means everybody that's involved with them, so school, social workers, parents, everybody. Teachers, I have to say, majority of them are blimmin' amazing human beings, especially at the minute. Frontline workers, bloody hell. They are fantastic. They went into teaching, not because they get paid a mint, but because they want to impart knowledge and help children be the best they can be. And they can teach you maths and biology and English and reading and writing. Maybe not me, but most people. But they're not therapists. No. I couldn't teach someone maths and English, but I do train therapists. But there's this perception that teachers need to be able to do all of this. And there's this perception that a teacher that's got a class of 20, 30 kids... And the way it is now, it's all, you know, you have to hit this grade and this grade and this grade, otherwise you're a rubbish teacher. The fact that the child is going to go on and do something amazing because you're such a fun, brilliant teacher doesn't enter into it anymore. Are they hitting the targets? So the teachers are under all these pressures. And then if we have a child with behavioural issues because of an additional complication, the teacher's now got to manage 30 kids and this one kid that is being disruptive. Now, Here's the problem, and parents forget this, right? Other kids in that classroom see this one kid, and, and, and if it's really obvious that this kid's got additional needs, okay. But if it's not, what if this kid's really good at hiding it at school, but he can't help twitching or he can't help just having meltdown or whatever he does? The other kids won't necessarily be able to understand a million years. He can't help it. He's wired differently. So they think it's fun. And if he can do it, I'm going to bloody do it. So all of a sudden, you've got cold disruption in the classroom. That's the problem the teachers really have. Not your individual child, but how the other children react. And they're not mum. They're not therapists. They're teachers. They're there to teach. So teachers really, really have a hard time with this. But yeah, there's a wider issue. So I would say that, yeah, there are some children who would react. But there are others. And um, I've known situations where actually the children were amazing. 
They literally went, it's just the way he is. Really accepting. And sometimes they would have to leave the classroom due to something going on. Yeah. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. And she went, oh, yeah, he just, he just does sometimes. And I'm like, wow. And this was year two, no, year you, three. You just You're literally something. going, wow, that is phenomenal. Problem is, this classroom was an outdoor, it was like a porter cabin classroom. The children had to be evacuated because of things going down. And kids were like, yeah, yeah. Parents found out. My child stood out in the cold. That was the issue. That was what the school had to deal with. We're, we're back beautifully to a core belief I have. When we're born, we haven't got a damn clue about the world. Everything we know to be true about the world and what the world should be for us is for us. We've learned along the way. Children aren't racist. Children no. aren't homophobic. Children don't have a problem with all the binary latest one, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or, or they, don't, they don't. They're just like, okay, cool. The only time that a child will have an opinion on it is if it's learnt that opinion from somewhere else. Yeah. And why would it voice that opinion? Because it wants to impress someone else. Who? Parents have got a lot to answer for, but none of them are doing it on purpose. They've learnt it somewhere along the line. There's a lot this of is, repeating it pattern. It is. It's apples falling from damn trees. and and But that's, that's going off on another one. But if you're the parent of a child that has got additional needs, you are so alone. And you are so tired and exhausted at having to continually fight to make sure that your child is getting the support they need in school, that people do understand that he doesn't process. He might nod and sit and smile, but it's not gone in. And you might think he's done really well in school all day and there's not a problem, but he's absolutely fallen apart when he's got home because he didn't feel that he could be whoever it is he needs to be in that room in that time. And then they get told, well, he can control it, so he can. No, he can't. Children are trying to please. All children are. One of the biggest things I see is these parents are then so alone and they're so damn exhausted. I, very few parents, you know, I, I've come from a commercial background, so if someone was having a shot at my child, I could hold my own in any situation. And I can be quite articulate if I need to be. But, you know, and unless you can do that, when you're confronted by a load of teachers or social workers or other parents or wh whatever, then all these triggers about your own self-worth kick in. And, and you don't feel that you can compete and you can't voice and you can't protect and defend. So then you feel like you've, you're not a good enough parent and you're not the best you can be for this child. And it's such a lonely place. And then what tends to happen is nobody understands my child but me. Well, no, no, you're right. And I say that, you know, when someone comes to me, can you help me with my child? I, no, the only expert on your child is you. But you've got to start believing that you're right. And the hard bit is... You then have to start sharing that information. And being able to in a way that... Uh, so I, I can sit here and be quite relaxed with you if we're going to a meeting later on, I've got a suit in the car, I've got a suit and boot. Why? Because they do. Make me feel comfortable? No, make them feel comfortable. <laughs> That's why we do it, isn't it? Yeah. And I'll be very articulate and I'll be using very long words. And I, I do this thing where I have keywords I'm just going to get in whether they're relevant or not. So at some point this afternoon, I'm going to say collaboration and Dickensian just because I want to. So And I can do that, right? Because I'm not frightened by those scenarios because I haven't got any triggers in me or limiting beliefs about those people around the desk. Because I know this might be your label, your job title, but you just like me. You've got dreams, hopes, fears. So I, I don't. But a lot of these parents maybe don't have that self-confidence. Maybe they didn't have a good time at school. Maybe they're not that articulate. And now they're exhausted. So they can't fight their corner. And that just makes them feel even more alone. And it, and it just makes them feel like they're failing. 
And then we have the next part of the puzzle because if the parent feels alone and that they're failing, even if they're doing a really good job at being a swan, so the child doesn't know, yep. these parents are amazing. They are. The child, all children, can sniff fear. <laughs> they can. And kids on the spectrum, if, if you can't see, your ears get better. We all know this, yeah? If you lose one ability, another ability is super strong. It's, there's like white papers and all that clever stuff on it. Kids on the spectrum know they're different. They know they can't do stuff that other kids can do. So they're more aware, but in a way that we don't understand. Their yeah. sixth sense is incredibly strong. Just because they might not even speak or show an emotion, do not be fooled. There's a whole lot going on in there, in their own way. It's our job to work out how. And they will sense this fear in mum. And then it will be, am I safe? Everything we were talking about before, am I safe? Am I good enough? Have I let mum down? Am I causing mum to feel this? Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? I know I'm different. The other kids look at me different. I had a, a mum the other day. <laughs> it blew me away. She contacted me because she's really, really worried that she's not getting the support she needs for a son with autism. I said, look, I, that's not what I do. What I do is help you deal with the emotion of that and help you. So she said, no, 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 I'm fine. It's my son. He's, you know, he's really struggling with his diagnosis. He's about 14. Lovely uh, Indian lad. Gorgeous boy. So anyway, I met him and on Zoom. And I said, so, you know, what's going on with you? And he went, it's not me. He said, I know I'm autistic. I've got a label. He said, but it's a part of me. Now, I could have hugged him because that's the whole Ollie model. It's a part of you. It's not who you are. And he said, yeah, it makes me a bit different. But he said, I've got wicked hair and I'm a good footballer. I thought, that's interesting. So mum said, no, 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 you know, he doesn't understand. And I thought, actually, who's really got the problem here of him being autistic? Because it wasn't him, it was mum. And mum wouldn't let him go anywhere, do anything, because she needed to protect him, because he might have a meltdown, this might happen. All these things that only she understood and only she could deal with. Because she'd read it somewhere that this would happen because he's got autism. Well, to a point, but also because she'd lived with him all this time and, and when this happens, that happens, and when this happens, that happens. But as his mum, she was the expert and she knew how to deal with him. She really did. But this had now created quite a vicious circle whereby if she wasn't near him, nobody else could deal with him. So she had to be near him, which meant she never got a break, self-imposed. Yep. And he never got a break. And I'd been working with her for about a month, not not very long at all, once a week for a month. And she phoned me yesterday and she said, you're going to be so proud of me. I went, I don't need to be proud of you. You do. What? 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 And she went, my son, let's call him Philip, it wasn't. She said, he's gone to stay with his uncle. I went, okay. She went, he's never done that. And I said, okay, how'd that happen? She said, he said he wanted to go and I needed to get over myself. It's autism, not cancer or something like that and I was like Pfft. and I said and how do you feel she said Ali I'm terrified I'm really terrified and I spent just calming her down yeah. but he was fine her fears were that he'd have a meltdown or so nobody would know what to do obviously he was with uncle uncle hadn't spent an awful lot of time with him but yeah we did have a bit of a melt and uncle just dealt with it because you can but mum's fear was nobody else could could they cope with it as well as she did? Probably not, but they did cope. But the key thing was this young fella went and did something normal. There's a, there's a lot of things to unpick from that. One is you know your child really well, but you sometimes you may you. stop learning. 
Yeah. You may just go, this is him. This is how his autism affects him and decided that that's an ultimate goal. That's the old, that's his destination. But actually, as they get older, especially I think teenagers and... But it does come from a point of protection. Oh, it, it fear, does. Yeah. It, they may grow. Yeah, but you almost then, you're holding them back. You're protecting them. It's like, no, actually, they are growing. They are changing. That How their yeah. autism affects them changes yeah. as they get older. And you kind of, which is hard, you kind of got to but let it, them make it, those steps. Again, it's different for every every child on the spectrum. Some of them, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily go in a positive way. But you're not going to be around forever. And I'm kind of thinking, as a mum, I would just want to know that my child whoever, whatever they choose to be, can cope without me to some level or there's things in place for them to cope without me because I'm not going to be here. No. And I think an awful lot of fear with the mums that I work with and the mums and dads are that, well, I'm not going to be here, then what happens? And they're looking for residential and God knows what, some of these kids really need that and there's some rubbish out there and there's some amazing ones. There are. Really amazing ones. It's like, let's see what they can do. I know it's scary. I know it is. I'm asking you to ask your kid with broken legs to let the crutches go. I know it's scary. I think it's... But what if I could walk? You go through years, I think, getting to AHCP, they're constantly... You're fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. You think, we've got here now, and I suppose you, it's knowing that, yeah, you've got here, but it's still going to change. But now you've got the support, it hopefully will be more positive. Yeah. I suppose one, one thing I, I would say, and my sister's... My sister's been doing one thing, my other sister's doing it with her son, is you need to make lots of notes... There's one thing as a parent, for your self-preservation, start keeping diaries of when things go wrong or things that affect them and things like that and make those notes because yeah. it means when it when you go into these meetings and they say, oh, really, he does this? And looking at you as if you're making it up, yeah. you've got something to fall back on. And that, I think it's a big thing is it will help you because it's not nice. One of the things my sister, I think my sister said this, or somebody said that an annual review is a professional meeting. Yeah, puts you on the back foot straight away, doesn't it? There's you and them. Yes, and I'm a professional. Where everyone's in that professional meeting in a professional capacity, apart from the parent. And it's often that parent who is, and I'm going to say they're battling against everyone else, and it's not always everyone else's therapist, but generally it's a funding thing and it's a battle. Yeah. And the moment you say something about their child, that parent's emotions go through the roof. Whatever they wanted or planned to say in that meeting, whatever was in their mind, their structure, that motion goes out, that's all gone. So again, having stuff written down and also having someone with you, very good thing. But it is, for you, self-preservation is, if you're having that thing where you're saying this and no one's believing you, you've got to be rewriting that down. Absolutely. And that's a really good practical thing to do. But the bulk of the time... I go into these meetings with parents, I'll I'll go in and sit beside them because obviously it's not like I'm on their team and yet I am because I've seen this and I'm involved because of the child's behaviour and I'm helping them build up their emotional resilience to it. If you're in a heightened state and you're exhausted, then you can never communicate as well as you can when you're quite calm and you're in control of the situation. Yeah. And it's so damn important and I have such a hard time getting this through and if Guys, if you're listening and you are the parent of a kid with additional needs, please, 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 please. The world isn't going to change overnight. A lot of us are doing all we can to make that happen for you. Believe me, we are. We're fighting. But it's not going to. So we are where we are. And the only expert on your child is you. (laughs) It really is. But if you're the only expert, 
you need to be able to pass that knowledge on in a way that it will be heard. And being heard is a big one, I know. And you can only do that as if you're in a good place yourself. So if you're so stressed and tired and... As you just said, Dale, you know, somebody says something and it triggers you. You're going to start like this and you get really offensive and it's not going to happen, is it? So for those meetings, you need to be in the best place you can be. But, you know, bugger those meetings and professionals. They need to be a little bit more aware of what it's like being you in that room. They really do. So we've got a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing to support you guys properly. But you need to take time out for you. You might be the only one that can deal with your child. But if you don't take time out for you, you're going to get poorly. Or yep. worse. And then who the hell's going to take care of your child? So please, please, please take time out. And I know, or you try when you got it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. There's 101 reasons why you can't. But there's one bloody good reason why you must. And that's that you can be around in a way that you need to be for your child. So find time. Do something physical. Lie in the bath of a book. Go for I don't care. And find someone like me. Seriously. And just offload. And let me help you or someone like me help you to deal with that level of anxiety that you guys are carrying all the time because you're fighting for your kids. Because if you don't, that anxiety will take over and everything you're fighting for go by the wayside because you can't keep fighting. You need support too, guys. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And the important thing is if you think about it is, you know, you're tired and you just keep fighting. Have you ever tried to finish something really important you're late? And you stay up late. You can't do it. You get worse and worse. Brain's not focused. You might be able to do it for a day. But if you're trying to finish this in a week, and it should have taken three weeks, and you're trying to get it done, each day you're slowly getting worse, aren't you? You, Your writing's worse, your concentration. It just gets worse and worse and worse until you can't cope. And I think it's the same with parenting. It's exactly the same. You're just literally going along. And if you do have this break, if you do have these breaks just to look after you... You may walk back in and see something you've not noticed before because you're just in a slightly better state. And it could be that small thing that triggers. As we, we were saying earlier, you know, and I keep saying I'm not an expert on any of the areas that we work in, to be honest, and I don't ever want to be. I'm an expert on what I do, which is emotional resilience and how our emotions affect our behaviour and our health. And whether we're talking specifically out here about a parent that's absolutely damn exhausted because they're fighting so hard to be heard and get the support for their child and they don't get a break from the child's behaviour at home or we're talking about any parent or any of us, what you are is in a state of anxiety, fight or flight. Fight or flight 101, okay? (laughs) It's a huge, immense tonne of chemicals pumping through your body to give you the energy to fight or run away from perceived danger. Your perceived danger is emotional threat. Whether or not your child's safe, you're safe, can you keep a myriad of things, right? If you don't release those chemicals, they stay in your body. And they are disruptive, so you won't sleep. You already noticing that? You're not sleeping good? Aches and pains? You're picking up more bugs than normal? You can't, you're irritable? You're a bit snappy? That is because you're in permanent fight or flight. And the last part of fight or flight response is that the blood's taken away from the part of your brain that allows you to think, because it doesn't want you to blimmin' think. It wants you to fight or run. Great. If it's a sabre too for an axe murderer. But the things that are stressing you guys out are emotional, not physical. That teacher's not hearing me. Social worker's not hearing me. I can't get the report through. I need my child's diagnosis. I need help, support, and it's okay to ask for that. 
And that causes stress and anxiety. And that is why you start becoming less and less capable of having those conversations in a way that you're taken seriously. I've been able to think through and plan all of those things because you're too exhausted. Fight and flight is a short-term thing. Saber-toothed tiger appears, you're either going to fight it or run away, and then it should be over. But this can last for some people. This is lasting an incredibly well, long time. That's the problem, and the whole idea. That you think about the chemicals when we talk about, ooh, fight or flight response, ooh, adrenaline, and you hear people lifting cars up and stuff. That's how powerful this stuff is pumping around your body. And the idea is it leaves. So if, if ever you've been in a really stressful situation, I don't know, you've seen a car crash or something, you were amazing. You know, you did what you had to do. You were really cool. And you're like, wow. How did I do that? And then you go, and you collapse. That's because those chemicals, that adrenaline and other chemicals, are leaving your body, which is what's supposed to happen. But if it's an emotional thing that's frightening you, like worrying about your kids, worrying about the mortgage, worrying about work, worrying about everything right now, you can't release those chemicals. They stay in your body because you haven't moved away from the perceived danger. And that's when they start to affect you. And you, you will. You'll start getting really poorly. You'll get run down. You'll get exhausted. You'll be snapping people's heads off. You won't be able to think straight. The simplest task, you'll become clumsy because you're so full of anxiety. Even if you don't think it's anxiety because you've kind of got the hang of it, you're used to it. It's like drinking too much coffee. I'm not high anymore. I drink gallons of coffee. I'm fine, honestly. Yeah, you are. You just don't notice it anymore because it's it is normal. now who you are. Yeah. So please, 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 guys... You are the only experts. Without you, your kid's pretty well buggered until the world changes. So please, please, I call it putting your oxygen mask on first. You know, on an aeroplane, little flight attendants exits here, 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 and all that, useless at 30,000 feet, but whatever. But the oxygen mask thing, put yours on before you help anyone else. There's a damn good reason for that. It's like basic first aid. Yeah. You don't want two casualties. Yeah. Always make sure it's safe for you. So look after yourself because... If you get run down, you can't look after that person who needs you. Exactly. And 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 every time I have this conversation, the first first thing I'm going to get is, you try, I haven't got any time, I haven't got any time, I haven't got any time. And I can hear the anxiety in them. You must find time. Because this is the only thing that really, really matters, that you do find that time. But sometimes when you're in that flight mode and you're running around, you don't always need to run around that much. You're just so heightened, you feel you, you need to. The problem is that once you're in that state, can't analyse it. No, you can't analyse it to go, oh, hang on a minute, I've gone into fight or flight. One needs just to calm down. That doesn't happen. And, and yet parents recognise this in kids. They're like, no, 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 you know, once they've gone into a meltdown, there's nothing. Well, if you can recognise that once you get to a certain emotional point, there's bugger all you can do, why can't you see that in yourself? You've got to start putting themselves first. Yeah. And is that thing, if that self-preservation is you are the expert of your child? Absolutely. But... If no one else knows, you are always going to be fighting. Yep. And if you are going to go into a meeting, have someone with you. Make sure that person knows, hopefully as much as you do about your child, try and share a lot with them. So if you, yeah. if they literally say something about your child and there sometimes you'll get reacting in a really strong way. Of course you will, an emotional reaction and you're, you're off on one and that'll go, oh, here she goes. Or you might literally, and my sister's had this, I've watched her in a meeting, I've been there, Somebody says something, and my, my sister, who is this most amazing, strong person, in this meeting just burst into tears. I'm literally looking at her going, just give the answer. Just give the answer to them. And she's just crying. She's gone. And it's like, she's exhausted. And you just sit there going, my sister's amazing. My sister's strong. She can deal with it. But in that time when it's her child, they're discussing and saying, 
well, he just doesn't, he's not good enough, or he's not this, or it's, he's not worth, he's not worth something. Yeah, or something like that. It just hits her like a sledgehammer, and she's gone. We were talking about a little lad earlier on, how teachers not recognising how his wiring affects him. And again, as I say, you know, they're teachers, not therapists. Why should they? There was a rule in the school where you walk, if you're going up the corridor, you walk on the left, down the corridor, walk on the right. And he has processing issues and <laughs> no ambiguity. So he got walking up the left corridor and they were cleaning the floor so he could get past, so he stopped. Um, and, of course, all the other kids stopped behind him and they thought it was really funny because they are breaking the rules. And, of course, this young teacher came along and said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I can't get past. The teacher thought he was trying to be funny. And because all the other kids were having such a laugh because they were getting to break the rule, this young teacher suddenly felt very out of his depth and felt that he was being challenged and his authority was being challenged and lack of respect. So my young fella got yet another detention. He was getting detentions all the time for stuff like that, but he was following the rules. That's the way he's... And he didn't understand why he got detention because he was following the rules and that just got him into more trouble because he argued with the teachers. So I ended up going into a meeting with this young lad's mum. Now, this young young lad's mum is a very professional lady. She's up there. She goes into blue chip meetings all the time for a big, big job. And we're sat in there and I'm just sat beside her because I'm his therapist at the moment. And I thought, no, I'm going to come along because she said she's banging her heads a bit. We walked in and there were about six suits, a couple of teachers, social workers, God knows what else, and the school counsellor. And, it's and intimidating, they, isn't it? It is. They were one end of the table and we were at the other. And this was before the COVID separation thing. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I used to play power games like this with high chairs and all this in the office. And they, they started up and they said, well, you know, he really was disrespectful when that happened and we had to give him. And the whole voice was so bloody patronising. And this woman said, Mum, you need to understand. And I thought, I'm going to get cross if you don't in a minute. And then they said that, you know, you need to understand, Mum, that, you know, what he did was unacceptable and he could have... And, and she just got so upset. They said something, like, for me it was mum, but I, I forget what they said, but it triggered something in yeah. her. And she went from this professional, very calculating, cool woman to a mess and just got really upset. So, And I, fortunately, because I was there, I just stopped her. And I went, can we just take five? And then when we come back in, this is Mrs. Jackson, not mum. And I'm just going to leave this piece of paper here, which is a breakdown of how this young fella does his world with his neurodiversity and his wiring you might want to read that and then we'll come back in and discuss it now I was fuming but as a therapist I kept my call and I wasn't as close emotionally so I could keep my call but by my doing that I changed the whole balance in that room were they happy to see me now of course they weren't but they stopped being so damn patronizing and it allowed my friend to come back in and say this is how my son behaves this is what happens it really really helped me if you could just change your language. For example, when he stopped in that corridor, if you'd have, instead of saying, get on with it, walk on, or whatever you said that was quite demand, because he has demand for, if you could have just changed your language, as as we've asked you to do a few times, and just said, I think it's okay if you'd step round now, then we wouldn't even be sat here. She no. was the expert on her son, but heightened emotion, she couldn't express it. But it is, it is a lot of the time, it's, it is, um, it's like being in a police interview. You expected that. I got lots this of police friends. Be careful. Interview <laughs> with, uh, uh, where were you? If, if you literally you go to these meetings, and that's what it feels like. It's, and you, it's a parent, and whoever's with them is being interviewed by a big panel, and the fact that's happening, 
It's all of them versus you. You're already wrong. <laughs> but again, I have to do this because, as I said, there are some amazing blimmin' teachers out there. there like all of us, there are some people that need to learn how to communicate and be a decent human being. But most of the time, if you can... It's all about perspective again. Put yourself in the teacher's situation. They have a child that caused chaos that day and all the other kids kicked off for about an hour afterwards because they could break the rules just by pretending that they could walk around a bucket. This young teacher felt he completely lost control of not only that situation but being in a classroom now. And the school's got criteria that they have to meet to keep control for the greater good. So, you know, this put them in an awkward situation. So that what happened in that room was we might have, well, two battle points, yep. them and us, and it didn't need to be because most of the teachers, no, most of the teachers in that particular meeting were absolutely on this kid's side and just wanted to know how to do it. But there was this dissonance in them because of the rules and the regs and safety and all this stuff that they have to do. They have to park their human side a little bit and be professionals. And then you've got mum who feels attacked. And what we need is kind of, we're on radio and I'm doing hand signals. We need to bring it together. So Work as one. Out of course, was it a primary school or a secondary school? It was a secondary school. That just brings so many more challenges. In a primary school, 300, 400 yep. children, X number of staff. You know what classroom you're in. You know what classroom <laughs> you're in, but you also generally, there's, you know the children. You would generally pick up, because those all those staff go in the staff room. It's a small staff room. Yep. They all talk together. Yeah. And you learn about different children, and you're out in the playground at break time. Get to secondary school, it's not 300, 400, we're now hitting 2,000 children yeah. and so many more staff. And they Sensory don't all need. <laughs> and somehow this teacher, that could have been the first time she met him. Yeah. And she has to assume. Yeah, I mean, the teacher normality. in question wasn't, wasn't actually even his, one of his tutors. So, you know, to and that's the thing. It's, it's a real, in secondary school, I don't know the answer. When I, I talk to that's secondary schools and I go, you've got a really big challenge. Because he might have an IEP, he might have know. an HCP with all this information, but that teacher isn't possibly going to read every IEP for every HCP for every child in that school in case she bumps into him in the corridor. No, we're not. They don't have the time. It's to a do horrible that. situation for everyone. And 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 I guess that's my point. It's very easy, and depending on whether or not I'm working for teachers, it's near breakdown because. They feel they can't control their class because they've got a couple of kids with additional needs in there, which makes the rest of the class go off. This happens. We never hear about this, do we? Or whether, uh, you know, it's like being an advocate. Which side do I... I'm going to come back to you. I can see both sides. And and what it comes down to is communication, understanding, and not being afraid, but we are. But taking about that that fear. So that teacher has fear of all this pressure above her that she has to perform and this class has to perform. So before anything else, she's already under pressure and is fearful. Yeah. I'm not talking she's walking in, but there is that pressure and fear, which means that she just doesn't maybe just be the best human they could be. And who's to say that not consciously she's making that decision? Lost somebody due to COVID last week. Yeah. Do you know, it's not a conscious decision she we're made. We're more than our horrible. labels. If we want our kids to be more than our labels, then we need to accept that the professionals we work with are more than their labels too. Yes. That would go a long way, I feel. It would. <laughs> it's just that that person is feeling, as you said, generally when you laugh, is a fear which makes you do these things. So it does. that person, and I sit there and you, you hear situations that some children go through and you're literally going, a human person wouldn't be a human. 
But as soon as you had all these pressures... Well, then you've got mum in fight and flight, you've got the teacher in fight and flight, boom! But yes, yeah, so what happened? In that moment, that teacher had a situation. Life, she's already got, she's already behind on her work. She's got a yeah, load of marketing to do. Know, it's do it's exam yeah. season. Yep. Bang, she's in fight or flight mode. This just happened. Then what you'll get is the parent will say, well, okay, I accept that that might be the case with the teacher. The school needs to do something about this. And it's always somebody else needs to do something about this. And... So you've got the parents saying the school needs to do something about this. The school saying mum needs to do something about this. And it's almost like somebody do something about it because nobody's going to. And where we're working, it's an absolute privilege to see these guys sat around a table and saying, OK, well, we can do this and this, but do you understand why we can't do this and this? Yeah. Because it's never been explained. Oh, yeah, no, I kind of do. Yeah, all right, OK, that's going to be a bit... Yeah, but I can see you probably can't do that with 30 kids. OK, but we can do this, this and this. And uh, the teachers that are specifically working with X uh, will make sure that they understand how to reword. Yeah. And where we're working, that's happening because neither side of that table wants this stress. They're all human beings. Most of them are blooming parents one way or another. But there's this fear. But if you're not in a good place yourself then you can't get the very best out of any meetings or situations when that's what you need to do for your child. So back to it. I know we've gone off on one a bit, but please, parents, if you don't allow yourself to matter, why should your child ever allow themselves to? Yep. Okay. I think we're coming to the end. So important messages are look after yourself. Please. Find time for yourself. You are the expert on your child, but if that information is in your head... And the time you get to give it out, you're unable to because of your heightened emotional response, then mm-hmm. that's not helping your child. So having something written down to me and my sisters are doing this, they're writing down situations. So instance, when this come, when he came from home, this happened. Just because it happened in school doesn't always mean the staff are aware that happened. Yeah, it's true. There's a whole thing around that, which is a thing. But so writing your note on this day, this happened you've got to write that down and almost have that thing and notepad and refer back to. And when you start having a book of full and you go in and present it to the school, they might sit there and go, we had no idea. And that's immediately you're helping them learn about your child. You're the expert. But you've got to help people learn. And for me, it would be parents, please. We, we've all got self-doubt. <laughs> we've all got self-doubt about so many things let alone are we doing the best for our child, especially when our child needs more than our best. But you cannot be the best version of yourself if you are carrying your self-doubt and all that anxiety. So please, please, please reach out. No no one, certainly nobody that I've blooming trained will ever judge. It's about making you the best version of you so you can help your child be the best version of them. Find the time, take the time. Yeah, definitely. So a big thank you for coming on the show today, Alison. No, oh, thanks for having me. It's important. There's some amazing people out there. Just need a little bit of help. It is, isn't it? It's, it's all, all the more we can arm parents with and look yeah. after parents, the better. Yep, absolutely. So thank you for listening to the show. If you, as usual, if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find the link to subscribe across different platforms on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, we are The Sendcast. 
Uh, before we go, just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B Squared. We have all our assessment products on the B Squared website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk. But as well as this podcast, we also have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. You'll find a number of our guests, our speakers, at our virtual SEND conference or have recorded their own training course. And Alison is one of those guests who have. Um, and Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable and always yours. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from Alison. Take care of yourselves, chaps, please. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>